I'm going to mostly be in the Ezekiel reading, but I'm going to also wander around in the New Testament. The Ezekiel reading is right in the middle of Ezekiel's New Covenant. And we get this little vignette in the middle with the Valley of Dry Bones. So let's talk about the New Covenant. There's four conditions, if you will, for the New Covenant. First one is Israel is reunited. So Ephraim and Judah come together. The second one is Israel united is back in the land. The third one is the Torah written on the heart. And then the fourth one is God will once again dwell among them. That's the new covenant. And for those of you who have come from Sunday church, the new covenant has been cut, which is to say the sacrifice has been cut. That's the blood of Yeshua. However, we are in a period between the covenant being cut and us taking possession of it. And if you want scripture for that, it's in Ephesians chapter 1. So, let's look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 and 37 are Ezekiel's statement of the new covenant. It's the second time he does that. The first time he does it is when the chariot comes down and he states the new covenant there. Here it's a little bit more extensive. Starts off back in 36, 36.22. I'm not going to read all that, but I want to read down to verse 26. So, 36.26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So the deal there is the heart of stone is taken out and is replaced by a heart of flesh. You've all heard this multiple times. In Deuteronomy, the metaphor for the new covenant is circumcision of the heart. In Jeremiah, it's writing the Torah on the heart. But the whole point is we get a heart transplant. We take the stony heart that we have right now out and replace it with a heart of flesh so that God's word can be written where it was always intended to be written, on the human heart and not on tablets of stone. So then down to Ezekiel 37, which is after the reading that we had today. I'm in 37.15. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take a stick and write on it. For Judah and the people of Israel associated with him... Take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. And join them one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. So the idea is all Israel comes back. So Ezekiel 36 and 37 are his statement of the new covenant. And it shows up all over the Old Testament, so it is not unique to the New Testament. In fact, the New Covenant is not a New Testament concept. It's a Tanakh concept that is simply brought to fulfillment in the New Testament. So, let's talk about the Messiah, Yeshua. He did two things. He came to renew the covenant, and that's in Matthew 5, 17 and 19. And you all know this by heart. Every Messianic knows it. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, 
Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he's setting out a marker, if you will. He says, I'm not changing anything. He's the Messiah. And I firmly believe that if he wanted to change something, he has the authority to do that. He specifically does not. So what he's doing is he is coming to bring Israel back to the covenant. That's the first thing. He has also come to set us free. And we're in John right now in our sequence of liturgical readings. And John chapter 8 is where he talks about that. 8, 31 through 34. So Yeshua said to the Jews who had believed in him. These are Jews who are following him. They're not the guys that are looking to kill him, right? We read about the guys that are looking to kill him today. A couple of weeks we'll read about the ones who believe him. So these are not hostile. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Yeshua answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. These guys don't get it. And we'll go into a longer riff, and they still don't get it. They don't get it all the way through. In fact, some of them fall away from him at that point. And the question that I want to talk about today is truth about what? Because he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what is it that you know the truth about that is going to set you free? That's what I want to talk about. The truth that he is talking about is the truth about you. If you know the truth about yourself, Knowing that truth gives you freedom. Now, the problem that we have is how do we figure that out? And what he tells us over and over again, and what God tells us, is the Torah contains the truth about you. Let me explain what I mean. You can look at the Torah two ways. And the way most of the Sunday church looks at it is as a set of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Touch this, don't touch that. Eat this, don't eat that. Rest here, don't rest here. Set of regulations. I am suggesting to you that it is that, but it is only that for someone who is looking for loopholes. So if you go through your life and you read the Bible looking for loopholes, which all of us tend to do from time to time because there's something we really want to do. And we're going to try and figure out if it's specifically forbidden. And if I can't find where it's specifically forbidden, I can do it. So for people like that, which is all of us, the Torah is this list of prohibitions. I will suggest to you that what he wants it to be is a mirror. And what he wants it to be is something that you look into and you see yourself reflected and you see in the reflection from that mirror how you measure up to God's standard. And in fact, the standard that we all say we want to meet. We all say we want to be righteous, we want to be good, etc., etc., etc. 
Well, what the Torah does when you look into it is it is a mirror that reflects back to you, and you can see yourself in that mirror. And as you see yourself in that mirror, if you recognize, you know, where the glass is all wavy and you don't look so good, you know, like a funhouse mirror, oh, wait a minute, I don't like the way I look in that part of the mirror. If when you see yourself all wavy in some part of the mirror, you then work on changing, then what you're learning about in that mirror is the truth about yourself. So I'm looking in the mirror and I see this wavy part and I say, well, what I'm learning is the truth about me. And if I will take it that way, then what happens is I can begin working on those wavy parts and I can become truly free. Because what I become is free from sin. As I say, if you just look at it as a set of traffic regulations or statutes and stuff like that, it is that. But you've missed the point. I'll give you a piece of scripture. 2 Corinthians 3. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Notice where the veil lies? Over their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Talking about liberty again. The truth shall set you free. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord God, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the idea is you look into the mirror and you see an image. Does that image look like Messiah? Understand, boys, girls, tall, short, not talking physically, obviously. But does that image that comes back to you from the Torah look like the Messiah? And I will tell you, mine doesn't always. There's places where the mirror looks kind of wavy or cloudy, like there's a veil over my heart. Now, the problem with Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, quite frankly, is all of us change the standards. Instead of going back to Moses and looking at the mirror the way God designed it and polished it up for us, we want to change the mirror. So the Jews, and Yeshua has it out with them over and over, about the additions and emendations they've made to Moses, and he is not pleased. He says, you guys have made Moses of no effect by your traditions. So they've gone and changed the standards. And they have believed that they are righteous because they are following the standards that they have set, which are loosely based on Moses. But Yeshua is not impressed. God is not impressed. So, equal rocks here. The Christian church has taken that mirror and said, "Ah, that mirror is too hard. Don't look in that mirror. Stay away from that mirror because it's too hard. Just trust in the love of Jesus. Well, the love of Jesus is wonderful and certainly trust in it. 
But what we've done is we have changed the standards. Instead of looking into the perfect mirror of liberty, we are saying, nah, that part of the mirror doesn't apply to you. I mean, you know, he talked about don't murder, don't commit adultery. Okay, those are okay. You don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, that's okay. He never talks about the Sabbath, so we'll do whatever we want there. And, you know, this other stuff, that doesn't apply to you. So what we've done is we have veiled part of the mirror. Or, as I would say, we've cracked the mirror. And when you look at yourself in a cracked mirror, you get a distorted image. So if you're looking at yourself in a cracked mirror, and that image that you see looks pretty good to you, that's not the image God has of you. Because God's image is the true reflection of what Moses said. And then the Muslims, God bless them, went the other way. They are extremely legalistic and very little grace. And it's interesting that the three great monotheistic religions, one of them worships on Friday, the other one worships on Shabbat, and the third one worships on Sunday. Notice we're all clustered around Shabbat there. Christians have sort of put away the law, not entirely, but to a great extent. Muslims have put away the grace side, and then Jews are rolling their own. But what Yeshua is saying when he is bringing them back in the New Covenant, remember the whole purpose of the New Covenant is to take this heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Or to use the metaphor of a veil, it's to rip the veil off of that so that you can see what your heart actually looks like. That's the purpose of the New Covenant. Bringing us back to what God's standards are, which is Moses. If you're going through Moses looking for loopholes, it then becomes a series of do's and don'ts. But if you're going through Moses to look at yourself, then it becomes freedom. Because Yeshua himself says, you will know the truth. Truth about you. That's the truth you'll know. And when you know the truth about yourself, then you can be set free. And you can work your way out of sin and death. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting work salvation. I'm saying what you're doing is you're trying to conform yourself to the image of Christ, which is reflected in the Torah. Now, one of the things that Satan is really good at Satan is really good at words. He is exceptionally good at words. In fact, it starts in Genesis 3, where he says, Did God actually say that you can't eat? And he starts throwing in doubts and questions. So what has happened over the centuries, starting from Sinai, it starts immediately after Sinai, this is not something that the church invented, is Satan gets in there and starts asking these well, does it really mean that? Well, what is, well, gee, I mean, we had a president that said, oh, what is truth? We have a Supreme Court justice that says, I'm not a biologist. I don't know the difference between a man and a woman. That is all satanic baffle gab to get you thinking in terms of words, not, not that words are bad, but to get you 
mixing it up in there instead of just reading the plain sense of the text, then you can get yourself in the text. And what we have today in our society, virtually nobody actually chooses to be evil. Some do, but it's rare. And what you have in our society is our society has set the standard of goodness and decency according to itself. So, if on your Twitter feed you've got a Ukraine flag and you've got a Black Lives Matter sign in your front yard and you recycle every Tuesday or whenever it is, you're a good person. Well, any of those things in themselves can be benign. I'm not suggesting that Black Lives Matter is benign, but recycling is okay. I don't care whether you recycle or not. But it is not a measure of goodness. And what our society has done is picked up these trendy things and made them the measure of goodness of a person. So as I say, we had a Supreme Court nominee that, I'm not a biologist, I can't tell the difference between a man and a woman. A five-year-old can tell the difference between a man and a woman. And what that is, is she is conforming to society's standards instead of to God's standards. We have a governor in this state who, as Disney is getting in trouble in Florida, God bless Florida, said, oh, well, why don't you come here? Okay, groomer. It's man's standards, and it's all based on what is trendy, what is popular, what looks good on your Twitter feed, etc. It is not the Torah. So as you go through your life, obviously you've got to spend time in the book in order to understand it. That's why we read the entire Torah every year, and we have a cycle. And as you go through that, try and change your mindset. Try and come at it as, what does this say about me and my heart, as opposed to, well, gee, I guess I can't eat bread for seven days. Well, yeah, that's true. You shouldn't because it's one of God's feasts. But instead, look at what he's training you, what he's teaching you, what he's saying about yourself. And as you understand the truth of who you are, you will truly become free. Messiah promises it.